Welcome back to React Native Radio Podcast. Brought to you by Infinite Red. Episode 175, State Management in React Native. Hey everyone, welcome to React Native Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Jamin Holmgren, and with me today are uh, two of my co-hosts, Robin Heinz. Say hi, Robin. Hello, everyone. And Harris Robin Kalash. Hey. Aditi is not with us today. She's unavailable, but she will be back for future episodes. I can't wait to have her back. This episode is, uh, we, we don't have a guest this episode, but we do have a really fun topic. Well, fun if you're a nerd like me. I, I love this topic. I, I, I got to admit, this is uh, this topic is going to be about state management in React Native. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about state management in React as well, uh, web. But, uh, but it's going to be primarily around React Native, given the topic of this podcast. So uh, the, we're, we're going to talk about state management libraries. We're going to talk about our experience working within each of these libraries, um, kind of our opinions around it, and uh, also just kind of you know, speculate a little bit about the future and, and what state management might look like in, in the future of React Native. Uh, I should mention that uh, this episode is sponsored by my company, Infinite Red, and uh, definitely check us out if you want any, of course, React Native work done. Infinite.red is our domain. Uh, you can email me directly, jamin at infinite.red if you have any uh, questions at all. So without f- any further ado, let's let's just dive into this. First off, I want to ask my co-podcasters here, what is state management? Let's just start at the basics. State management, you know, in any application where, especially in a client-side application where you have UI and a user interacting with it, you need to be able to manage the state of the world of that application, right? In a, in right. a single place, ideally. It just allows you to manage, like, what is the current world state of my application? Is the menu open, et cetera? Yeah, that's that's a good way to, to say it, Harris. It's like if you had, you know, like, like one of those hamburger buttons that opens a side menu, a drawer menu. Is that menu open? Or is it closed? That's the state of it. That's that's you know that's what it is. There are many different ways to approach this. This has been a problem, or a uh, maybe not a problem, but it's been a, a thing in software development for, since the very beginning. Uh, Robin, do you have anything to add to like you know what you might define state management as? Yeah, um, I read in a blog post a while back, and I wish I could remember who the author was. So apologies to whoever wrote <laughs> that blog post. Um, but it was that state is a record of everything the user has done since opening the app. Very interesting. So if they've opened a drawer or loaded a list of data from an API, that is all captured in state as a data object. That's a really good, yeah, that's a really good way to say it. And in fact, I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast is as old as me, but, uh, way back when I was a kid, we had... Uh, a car, I think it was a station wagon <laughs> that had a radio and the presets, you could push the preset button in like on the radio uh, to switch to a different re- preset and the button would stay in the one that you were on. So it'd be like, click this button, it would click out any others that were, that were, you know, currently 
pushed and it would pop over to the other one. So you'd be like, oh, now I'm on 750 uh, news radio, you know, <laughs> and you could set those and that whichever one was pushed in was the state. You could also look at the dial and see where the needle was and say, OK, that's the state. That's the that's the station that I'm on um, as being kind of like that's my state. And like you said, Robin, that's that reflects what the user has done uh, up to that point, because radio would just be on, you know, whatever the default was if I if I didn't push the button. But obviously, we're talking about software here and and specifically React Native. And when I did uh, native mobile app development, uh, it was kind of it was kind of interesting. I came from a Rails background like Robin, you did. And uh, state often like in web development, especially when I did PHP, state was like reconstructed every single page load in the very beginning. So you would just go into your database and say, okay, hey, here's like a cookie, you know, with a session token or something. Who's currently logged in? Okay, now that we know who's logged in, grab all of their current state, you know, like, uh, you know, a bunch of different things. Plus, a certain amount of state would be held in the URL, you know, like what page are they on? Uh, What are they trying to do? Maybe there's like a post action. So now we know what they're what they're trying to do. So state was kind of scattered in a couple different places. Um, one of the big changes when I moved to mobile development, native mo- mobile development, was that state was uh, it was it was more stateful. It was like the 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 variables would live on for longer. You know, like sit in a, in an object and and if you had a like a drawer, you could just have like a, a class variable that would just track. You know, am I am I open or am I closed? That was that took a little different approach. I, yeah, I, I also I think one thing that made a big change in sort of that paradigm is sort of we used to have uh, fat ther- fat servers and thin clients, right? So now we have fat clients mm-hmm. and thin servers. So where right. servers are, are ideally stateless, right? And really all the state is on the client side, and that's why like state management solutions today are are much more important just because the client side has gotten so much more complicated than before right exactly yeah yeah that's totally true and and that there's a, there are reasons for that uh, there are reasons why you know we're pushing more and more over to the client there's some resistance to that there's some like kind of throwback now to like can we throw can we put stuff back on the server i know phoenix with elixir phoenix has like phoenix live Live view, uh, which will hold all the state server side and then push things to the client. But for the most part, you know, when you're building a React app or you're building a React Native app, most of your state is living client side on your in your browser or in your in your app. So there there have been various you know approaches to this since React came out. Um, I remember in the very beginning, uh, Facebook when they published React also kind of came out with this thing. Uh, it was it was called Flux. It was like the Flux pattern. It wasn't so much a library, but it was more like a pattern of unidirectional data flow. Sorry, were you going to say that? Uh, yeah, Robin? that's what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it was it was pretty confusing. And I don't know, I don't think, Robin, you were working in React at that time. No, I was not. Uh, at that time, my idea of state management was active record. Active record, exactly. In, in Rails. In Rails, Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the, the it was it was actually really confusing. They had these like charts, and like if you go look it up now, the charts have improved, the documentation has improved. But at the time, you looked at it and it was like, okay, here are a lot of new concepts. Here are a lot of things that that I, that I don't understand. You know, things like reducers and um, and actions, and it was kind of introducing a bunch of new terminology. 
it was also kind of explained in a certain, you know, it was, it was just, it was just very kind of, uh, kind of computer sciencey and, and less practical, uh, for me. So, you know, and, and at the time we, I mean, talking about like active record, yeah, when you were, when you would build a native app, you would use things like SQLite, uh, which is a very simple database built right into, you know, uh, iOS and Android. Um, you could also do things like push things into core data on iOS and you could, you know, there, there were some other, some other options there too. Of course, maintaining things in, in memory as well, but often state was just kind of scattered all throughout the application. And so when we went to, to react and, and they came up with the flex pattern, it was a, an attempt to kind of centralize that state. We were using Ember at the time and Ember has its own kind of way of, it was actually uh, bi-directional data flow at that, at that point in Ember. Yeah, that was on the website. And uh, so we really didn't get into React until Redux had already taken hold. So Redux was invented, I think, or it was at least released in, I think, 2015, which is which was also the same year that React Native was released. And it was it quickly took over as the, you know, the library and the pattern because uh, it was basically a simplified version of the Flux pattern, w- way simplified. It made sense. It was like more more obvious, still had some of the same kind of downsides and stuff like that. But it it did you know it implemented the flux the flux model and so let's let's back up for a second. So we talked about like state being a record of everything that you've done uh, in the app. So how does Redux you know handle that? Uh, Redux lets you so, so Redux uh, has uh, you know like a single source of truth state tree. So you can think of it as like this giant object where that represents the entire state of your application, and it lets you modify it by using, uh, you know, uh, reducers. So what, what you're essentially doing is that you're passing in the entire state, modifying in, modifying it and, and making a copy of it really as you modify it and returning a whole new state every single time, which sounds very, very uh, inefficient. <laughs> okay. And let's just talk about the word reducer for a second. I mean, if I'm new to React or React Native... And I see the word reducer. I'm. I just think re- yeah. reduce what? Well, it's it's just not an intuitive yeah. concept. It's it's very true. Um, it's it's. I think in. Uh, I think in Elm, which was either inspired by Redux or inspired Redux. I don't remember which direction that went. Elm inspired Redux. Okay. Okay. So I did some Elm uh, and. Elm calls them updates. I think, you know, like the, this is an update. <laughs> that makes more sense to me. There's an update function, and you pass in the, uh, you know, the state, like Kara said, and any actions that you want to, you know, do on that state, and then it returns back a whole new object that represents the uh, the state at that point. And then it can, and then it has ways using Redux React to propagate those changes to the components that need to be updated. One uh, big selling point of Redux at the time, I remember, was always like this time traveling thing. It sounded really cool, but it comes down to, because you're you're modifying the state every time and through an action, you're able to quickly implement like an undo. You're able to like go back in time in your state, basically, since your state changes over time and that's recorded, right? So Yeah, un- implementing undo where your state is just scattered into like the this object and that object, is actually pretty tough. 
And then conversely, if you save everything into a SQL database, unless you take advantage of databases, you know, kind of inherent features of, of rollback and stuff like that, um, it can also be difficult because, uh, you know, like when did something change? How did it change? So, uh, so Redux really kind of nailed that. It's like, okay, we know what the previous state was because we have the previous state structure. We can hang on to it. Like we're making new copies. So just hang on to the old one and you can roll back that change. So time travel, undo, redo, et cetera, it was, was pretty cool in, in Redux. And there are other, uh, you know, other things there too, like action creators. So like, uh, I want to, I want to, I'm triggering an action. So I need to create an action, which isn't <laughs> it, kind of counterintuitively. An action is an object. It's not like an event. Um, it's not a function call. You're passing an object through to your reducer. And then beyond that, you also have to think about side effects. Side effects are uh, events that are outside of the main flow of your application's functionality and in turn outside of your control. Yep, that makes sense. And a good example of this would be like when you're calling out to an API. This is something that you don't control when it's when it you, you control when it starts, but you don't control when it ends and then how that is handled once it comes back. Uh, so you need some way to handle those side effects. Um, and uh, so Redux has a few different ways of handling this. You know, we started, I think we tried thunks, uh, which is like Redux thunks. It was a certain way of approaching it. Thunks are probably the simplest way, arguably, to handle side effects in Redux, but uh, they also lack a certain amount of power. There's kind of like not really a, a way to handle multiple, you know, multiple things happening in kind of just flowing through. Uh, like we're gonna we're gonna send out this this API request and then this other thing is going to happen. And, you know, we have to pop up a modal and you know, like all these things kind of happening in, in conjunction with each other. So we ended up moving to Redux sagas and that was the one that, that really stuck with us while we did Redux. Have either of you used uh, Redux sagas? Yeah. So I, I obviously used sagas at infinite red during that period. And I, I mean, I don't think I ever truly understood sagas <laughs> <laughs> It always just felt like there was a lot of boilerplate and anytime you wanted to add a new saga, you had to add code in four different places to make it fire when you wanted it to fire. Uh, yeah, I, I just found sagas confusing. Yeah. It also gets confusing when uh, you have to run other sagas in your sagas and then it's like, <laughs> it's hard to keep right. track. Yeah, and it kind of brings up sort of a broader theme within Redux, uh, the, the complaint about boilerplate. Because boilerplate is kind of one of the things that when you first get into Redux, you're just like, wow, I'm, I'm touching a lot of files. I'm writing a lot of code just to do one thing. Now, I've heard it kind of, you know, sort of described as Redux has sort of like a steep learning curve, but then once you're up kind of onto the plateau, then it's easy to scale applications up pretty much infinitely. In, infinitely. So you can get to a, a pretty large application and the way that you add, uh, you know, any sort of event or, or yeah, state is pretty similar to how you did in the beginning. Uh, it's, you know, you're not having to kind of manage something that gets more and more unwieldy as time goes on. So that's sort of the trade-off there is that it's like harder in the beginning, but easier as you scale, or at least that's kind of how it's, how it's sold. Yeah, I can see that. 
Yeah. And, and, and that's, so that's, that's kind of a, a big deal. So let, let's, uh, let's kind of move on to some other options here. So at infinite red, we got a little bit tired of redux. We, we did a few things. We like, we created uh, redux sauce, which, you know, helps with, uh, there's a lot of kind of helpers and stuff like that to, you know, make redux simpler. But once we got, you know, we, we had a few, quite a few apps under our belt, probably two years worth of it, uh, of building apps using Redux. We started looking for something else. And that's when we encountered MobX, but specifically MobX State Tree. And I gave a couple talks, actually three talks about MobX and MobX State Tree uh, last year. And I'll just kind of in brief explain how, how they kind of work together. So MobX was created by Michel Westrate. He now works at Facebook. He didn't before. And it's uh, sort of a reactive engine that allows you to watch certain values. And when they change, it triggers functions. It just triggers like a watcher. You're observing the values. Um, it's very, very slick. It's a very small amount of code in at Redux, or I mean, at, uh, sorry, at React Live Amsterdam, I actually watched Max Gallo. Uh, he re-implemented MobX and MobX React in like 50 lines of code on the stage. It was, it was, it was pretty impressive. It was a slightly naive version, but when I went and looked at the code that's actually under the hood in MobX and MobX React, it wasn't that much different. Like it was, there was, there were some additional edge cases and stuff that it handles, but it's a pretty simple system. Uh, but MobX by itself is pretty unstructured. Uh, so like, how do you use MobX? Well, how do you want to use it? <laughs> and that's, not usually like how programmers want to approach it. Yeah, like they want to have sort of a pattern, like what, what is the best way to do this? And so MobX state tree kind of came out of, uh, came out of that and Michelle created that. It makes MobX more like Redux in the good ways by creating kind of a, a global store and the ability to run actions which are just functions, just methods, basically. And uh, you can also create views which are like computed, like you already have some properties in your, or some uh, some data in your store, and you just want a different view of it. Maybe it's sorted a different way. Maybe it's filtered a certain way. Yeah, I use views for things like, like if a, a user has a first and last name, I'll do a view called full name, or I'll use it for address formatting, really all sorts of things. Exactly. The data is already there. You don't want to like store it as a full name property, but you just need to access it once in a while to output it in that way. So we use MobX, MobX State Tree, and then another thing called MobX React Lite. MobX React Lite, basically, you just wrap a, uh, a component in, an, in a function called Observer, and it will observe any, any properties that are accessed from your store and from your models in a component. And if the, those properties and only those properties change, it will re-render just that component or any that are observing that. And it makes it extremely performant. Now there are some downsides to MobX and MobX State Tree and and etc., uh, but it's honestly extremely powerful just right out of the box. Yeah, with MobX State Tree, you can you can get very far with just the basics. When you get into the more advanced features like middleware and lifecycle events, it gets quite a bit more complicated uh, and also quite a bit more powerful. But you can get very far with just actions and properties and views yeah yeah one thing i love about mobx is how clean it keeps your views like from my experience when using redux you always end up having views full of logic just because it's just much more effort to go ahead and like make that more dry like you have to go and 
implement selectors. And with MobX, it's just really easy. Like the computer views are right there. It just ties in well together. Yeah, we're able to keep a lot of the business logic in models, which are infinitely more testable than views. Uh, so a lot of the the logic that used to be in component classes, you can put in actions, which you can write unit tests for. Um, so the, the separation of concerns is really nice. Yeah, totally. And you, you kind of touched on it, but like, how does MobX state tree handle side effects? Yeah, so MobX state tree uses flows, which are basically fancy uh, async functions. Right. Um, I think it's there. It's it's technically a wrapper around generator functions. Yeah. Um, but it lets you make a call out to an external service, like an API, and wait for the result. That's that's something we're really already used to doing in JavaScript. We use promises all the time, uh, so it's very intuitive. Yeah, and, and you can use like async functions as an as an action. It would be more like oh, I do all the time. Yeah, and that that's more like Redux thunks. That's like uh, on the order of Redux thunks. You can do basically the same thing as Redux thunks there, but then there are some limitations. Like you cert, you hit a certain point, and the way that that code is sort of transformed starts making it a little more awkward to wait for things. You know, if you're waiting for multiple things, then you can't like manipulate properties directly and stuff like that. So when you do that, if you get, if you start hitting one of those limitations, you switch over to a flow, which is just like, like you wrap your, 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 fun- you make your function a generator function, which is basically just adding a star, <laughs> like an asterisk to the function. And then you wrap it in a function called flow, which comes from Mobic state tree. And then within that, instead of doing a wait, you do yield and it's, not much different than that. Like, I don't really think there's anything else to it. I think that's the majority of, of what you do. And then it becomes basically like you just write it like you would, you know, write a story. You're like, I want to yield. I want to wait for this call. And then when it comes back, I want to do this other thing. And you can even yield for things like I'm going to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to wait for, there's a function called wait and you can wait for like a property in the model to change. So example, you can pop up a modal, and then when that modal closes, continue your action. You can just keep going, like in the middle of your action. It's it's kind of almost freaky, like like it works this way. Yeah, I guess it's good to note maybe that like you don't actually have to use Flow. I've actually never used it in any of my apps. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. I yeah, I've never really found it. Like I I think maybe it makes the code a bit cleaner in certain cases, but I've never understood why I should use it, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and by the way, we should mention this is not the flow that Facebook creates. That's like a TypeScript competitor, sort of static typing. Um, we're talking about a function. It's literally just a function from MobX state tree that you pull in called flow. Yeah. And after what, one, two years of writing React Native apps with MobX state tree, I, I think I've used flow maybe once. I, I almost always just use regular async functions. Uh, which is even better because they're they're just functions. It's just JavaScript. Yeah. So you don't have like you don't have to create an action. You just call a function. <laughs> you give it some properties. Exactly. And it also just works really nicely in my brain because it's very object oriented, uh, which calls back to my Rails days. I mean, you have model definition, and then you create a model instance, and you just you call functions and access properties directly on that object. So if like you have user and then user.load, it's just, it's very familiar. I wish that Aditi was here 
because I think Aditi, she she's used Redux a lot more. She's she probably would be able to provide a little different uh, perspective uh, on this. We have three <laughs> MobX State Tree fans here. Um, but with that said, what are some of the downsides to MobX State Tree? And I'll actually start by saying it's often kind of thought of as magic. Like, you know, you don't see exactly what's happening. Redux is basically a pattern that there's sort of a, a library wrapped around it, but it's it's just a pattern. And so everything you're writing feels like, you know, just normal JavaScript. Well, until you get into like sagas and thunks and stuff. There's a lot of it. You have to touch a lot of files, but it just feels kind of like you you can kind of follow it all the way through. MobX, it's like, how did this this uh, component just re-render, you know, you, you don't necessarily know unless you've actually looked into like how they work under the hood. Yes. Uh, yes. It is uh, very much more magical, uh, which can be frustrating when you're trying to debug a red screen or, or whatever. And uh, speaking of red <laughs> screens, uh, that is another common uh, complaint about MobX Day Tree is that it, it can be a bit brittle. If you don't set your data in exactly the right way, uh, you'll get objects die. Like you'll have objects die and then you'll get a red screen. Uh, so you just have to, you have to make sure that you're setting data appropriately and keeping track of which properties you're observing or which objects you're observing and, and, uh, taking care of them before you replace them, which can be a little bit finicky. Yeah, and sometimes if you don't use it, forces you in a direction where, like, if you don't do that, it might bite you in the ass later. Because, for example, using references is something I've learned to start liking in MobX. Because if you have a bunch of data and you don't have a reference to it, and you start modifying that, or you, you add it to the tree, and it's like the same, it's the same data, it's going to complain. Or kind of what Robin was saying, where if something doesn't exist in the state tree anymore that is going to complain or, you know, you have to detach this object from the tree before you can add it in another part of the the, 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 the state tree. I, I don't actually think you can have the same data in two parts of the state tree. That's that's actually why I stopped using references, uh, because sometimes you you want to keep a copy of the data in more than one place. And if it has the same reference on it, then you can't do that. Yeah. Can you explain what a reference is to people who don't use MobX state tree? So a reference is like, if you're familiar with relational databases, it's like a primary key. It's the guaranteed unique identifier for that object. The ID. Yeah, right. And so instead of storing the whole object on the tree at, at that location, you would just store the ID. And then it, MobX would smartly look at it and say, oh, this is an ID. Let me go find it in the rest of the tree. And they, it kind of looks around until it finds that identifier and then pulls that back and lets you use that that particular object. It's good in theory, but what I've run up against in practice is that with mobile applications, you're often not dealing with a single source of truth, especially if you're getting your data from an external API. Now, if your app is a standalone and it's sort of managing its own set of data, that's that's a different scenario and it might work better in that scenario. But if you're loading data from an API, especially if it's paginated, as soon as you're as soon as you only have a partial set, one of your references could be bad. Yeah. 
So that's what I've run into a lot with references uh, and that they really work better when you know you have a full set of data and you're the single source of truth. I've gotten around that by storing the ID as like with a prefix. So it'd be like maybe for a user's list, I want everybody's ID. But then for my profile, I want, you know, profile dash my ID. And then I just store that uh, separately. It's it's not ideal. Um, it's something that uh, th- that I, I, I have a lot of ideas around. But I, I think, you know, honestly, we could probably do a whole, a whole episode just on MobX state tree. Uh, and we probably should, uh, to be honest. I think there's some really cool stuff there. What other libraries are there? Well, uh, let's let's talk about just hooks and context. Like, let's start with you know just the what's built into React. So obviously, React has its own state management to some degree. There's like set state, and then it turned into use state later with hooks. Uh, they also released the the new version of of React Context, which allows you to share state down a whole tree of con- of components. And I've I've used that. It'll it's 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 pretty cool. You can obviously hooks are are kind of cool. They're they're kind of fun to to use. They're they have certain rules around them, but they're not that hard to learn. And then you can just store your state right there in your component. It's right at your fingertips. There's very little code. You're ready to go. So what do you all think about just using hooks and and then uh, moving data around your components uh, using context. So I've never actually used just hooks and context uh, in an app. So my first question would be, how how do you persist it between app loads? Uh, because I know with more robust state management libraries like Redux, you can take the entire state tree and plunk it in async storage and then rehydrate when the app comes back. So how would you deal with that? I guess you would have to do it individually. And that's not ideal. Uh, so <laughs> I completely agree with you. But you could you could obviously have a bunch of providers for every piece of state and hooks that you have that are persisting and rehydrating their own state, right? Robin, yeah, like, um, to answer your question, I, you would just uh, set item, like in, in, in sort of that specific provider and like sort of use state or like let's say you have like a sticky state and you have like use sticky state in that reusable like i guess uh use state function uh hook actually the reusable hook you could just uh, keep persisting that specific piece of state the same way it's just you wouldn't be able to do it in one place for everything you would have to it, w- it would be like everywhere in every like hook that you have. Yeah and and one of the benefits of hooks is that you can you can build these kind of modular like your own hooks and you can say use persisted state and then it persists it and then in the future just kind of loads it back in which is kind of cool because it's sort of a hybrid between there there is sort of a global place where this stuff is stored and you can also just like you know your use persisted state could just check you know async storage for example i could just check to see if this exists um Slightly awkward, though, and things like time travel wouldn't be as possible, um, you know, uh, just just kind of just just uh, it's it's actually one of the inherent problems of storing state at the leaf at the node edge, like right in the component itself, because this is the problem like in a game, for example, like you, you have a game and you have objects and objects work particularly well in games because it's like, OK, you have a spaceship and it has it has a certain amount of health and it has like a speed and a direction and whatever. So, you know, that's fine. But then if, if you want to do a save game, <laughs> you have to like go and collect all that data and then put it somewhere. And then when you 
restore, you have to then create things and like manipulate the objects into the right spots where having like a centralized store definitely helps with that. I think one of the bigger problems with hooks and, and, and context is uh, performance uh, because, you know, if, if you're not careful, uh, you'll, you'll just kind of reinvent Redux or you'll reinvent MobX state tree anyway uh, when you're using context. And often you'll be in a position where you're re-rendering you know, large chunks that you don't need to re-render. It's one of the benefits of using something like uh, MobX React, where it just monitors one particular property and will only re-render that 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 component when it needs to. But it's definitely, you know, you can do it, especially for smaller apps. You can definitely use uh, hooks in context. We're 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 pretty far into this episode. Let's let's keep uh, diving through some of the other you know options out there. So my business partner Gant Laborde created a really cool. GitHub repo called React State Museum. Uh, you should go check it out. The basically what it is, it uh, it shows one. It's sort of like to do MVC, where they showed like okay, all these different to do apps in different frameworks. This is the same idea, but it's using a packing list instead of a to do list. Very creative, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, it shows examples in React. Uh, there are links to a GitHub repo. There are links to like a code sandbox, so you can go check it out. And React Native in a lot of cases. You can check out like an Expo snack, or you can go look at the code itself. Just running through it, there's like a set state example. There's React 16 context example, what we were just talking about. Of course, there's Redux. There's MobX by itself without MobX state tree. There's uh, MobX state tree, of course. And then there's unstated, which is pretty popular. I think there might be unstated next. I'm not sure. Um, unstated it, next is what uses hooks. Perfect. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's in the state museum though. Yeah. If not, you know, like feel free to submit a pull request. Gantt curates this. Contributions welcome. Absolutely. You can go look at. Hey, and Hacktoberfest is coming up. That's right. Yes. By the time you hear this, uh, Hacktoberfest may be already underway. So that'd be a great way to to uh, to contribute. One thing we haven't talked about is using GraphQL, Apollo, um, you know, Apollo Link State, etc. There are examples of that uh, on on the React State Museum. I'm, I think it's a cool concept, the idea of using GraphQL. It kind of is a little bit of a throwback. It's like throwing back to server um, server state, basically. Like we're going to store the state over there, and then we're going to just kind of seamlessly work between the server and the client side. There's also things like React autom- Automata. Is that how you say that? Automata? I don't know. Automata? What's a, what's a mata with you? <laughs> uh, Freeactal, PureStore, React Observable Store, React Easy State, Rematch, Unistore. There are a lot of these that I actually haven't even heard of. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I haven't heard of most of these. I had no idea there were so many state management libraries. There are a ton. There are a ton. Immer, actually, Immer... Um, was created by Michel, the same guy that created MobX and MobX State Tree. And Immer is a very interesting. Uh, that, that, that's that's it's it's um well we, we won't talk about Immer here, but that it's it's a very interesting approach. It's it's definitely different than MobX. And then uh, you can also look at lightweight versions of Redux and and whatnot. And Recoil, Recoil is a new one that came out of uh, a different part of Facebook that solves a particular type of problem, especially around like really complex interactions and whatnot. So uh, if you if you had to work in a React, <laughs> I think this one's probably going to be kind of obvious if you've listened to this episode, but if you had to work in a, a state management, you know, you're building something, how would you make a decision and, and what would you choose? 
I would probably look at where my data is coming from. Am I loading data from an API? How often am I loading it? Do I need to load it uh, on every single page? Um, is, is this a healthcare app? Am I not going to be able to store data because of HIPAA? Those are all considerations. Also, am I managing my own state as a standalone app uh, and not connecting to an API? Uh, those are all factors. Also, just how big is the app? How much data are we going to be using? How many screens are there? If it's just a few screens, then sure, we can manage state on each individual screen using hooks and context. That's no problem. But if it's bigger than that, we're probably going to want something more robust. Um, does it need to scale? Also, just what is my team comfortable using? Absolutely. That's a great list. And you can also mix and match a little bit. So if you chose Mobic State, or actually you're, you're using Mobic State Tree in your current project, and you showed me a component where you actually used a hook, I think, to manage the state of that component. Yeah. So most of the time, I, I like to keep logic in Mobic State Tree. Um, but this was a case where there was a lot of logic and it was all related to how the view was rendering. So I had three or four different use state calls all in the view layer. What's an example of that in like the one you're talking about? So the component I was building had basically a grid of small buttons and the ability to show more, which would display the entire list. Sort of like a tag cloud, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you would you would show more to show the entire list and then it would show a less button. So you could show less to go back to basically a single line. But the kinds of things I was keeping track of were how many buttons, total buttons were in the list and how many were visible at any given time. Let's see, what else? Uh, I had to add... Um, because of the way the grid was laid out, I had to add some placeholder views at the end to get Flexbox to render each item correctly if there were an odd number of items. So I had to do some modulo math fun, fun, to get fun. everything to come out evenly. Uh, but I did that all using hooks. Yeah, that's cool. So you can just mix and max, mix and match it uh, in in that case. Harris, uh, same question to you. How would you kind of make a decision on what state management to use, and uh, then what would you use? My answer won't be as I guess uh, responsible as Robin's. I would use MobX just because it makes my life easier. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean. I've tried so many state management solutions and I, I think there hasn't been one that I haven't regretted as much as MobX where uh, in the sense like not, not, not regretted, but in the sense like as the application grew mm -hmm. sort of, I felt like, oh, this is becoming kind of a pain or mm -hmm. it's tedious. Maybe it's different in large teams because I've typically worked with small teams, but maybe the next one I would want to try is either a new one. Like I, I guess I would either do MobX or a new one, but I wouldn't try anything other than that I've tried already again, other than Mavix. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. And also what your team is used to. Although we've actually yeah. had a lot of success converting Redux people over to Mavix State Tree. That's, that hasn't seemed to be a major problem, mainly because Mavix State Tree makes Mavix more like Redux. So it just kind of, there's a lot of familiar concepts. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would echo that. Uh, and, and certainly from a business owner perspective, when I'm looking at it, Redux is an obvious choice because there are so many Redux 
savvy engineers out there. And there's so much like third party support and stuff. But Mobex State Tree is probably like, and Mobex itself are, they're definitely the solid runner up in that category. And I would say probably 10% of, of React Native projects probably use uh, React, uh, Mobex State Tree. I know when I'm giving those talks, I ask, and it's usually like 80% use Redux, 10% use Mavic State Tree, and 10% are like everything else, including just using hooks and context. There's a lot of unstated in there too, but unstated has some limitations. Uh, that's why they're kind of coming out with with unstated next. But yeah, I, I, I think that's a great way to, to look at it. So at this point, I'd like to introduce a new section of the podcast. Uh, we are going to go into our our fun part, <laughs> and that is weird bugs. So weird bugs is uh, it's a section where we just talk about weird bugs that we've encountered ourselves or we've heard other people talk about. Or we've just noticed in the wild. Not everybody's going to have a weird bug every single time that we that we do these episodes. But who's got a weird bug this this time around? Yeah. So I think it was uh, yesterday or the day before one of our teammates pointed out that there was a PR to React Navigation uh, fixing a bug where an event listener was added in using use effect. But then when the component was unmounted, not only was the listener not removed, it was actually added again. <laughs> so they had, they were returning. So use effect, the way that this works is you give it a function, which like sets things up a lot of times listeners or, or whatever observers, and then you can return a function that will, tear that down it will remove those listeners etc this wasn't doing that right it was adding it again yeah so it it uses <laughs> the it uses use effect to add an event listener from the react native dimensions api mm -hmm. um, but then use effect was adding the listener again when the component unmounted <laughs> so that was not a great bug <laughs> but uh, luckily this PR was changing it to remove the event listener rather than adding it again so that's good so the the more that your application would run in, in you know you react navigation and there were window dimensions changing to some degree the more listeners you would pile up and the more often if a change happened it would just run this function the on change function over and over and over and over again uh, you know maybe who knows how many times? <laughs> Which is a bit of a memory leak. Exactly. So update React Navigation yes. if you're using it. Yeah, they did merge in this uh, three days ago. I don't know what, what version it has made it into, if any yet. Uh, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's just proof that even the authors of our favorite libraries are not immune to little stuff like this. Totally. We're all human. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thanks uh, to everybody who's listening. Thanks to my company, Infinite Red, for making this episode possible. Very excited. This is the second episode since we relaunched the new React Native Radio. And of course, thanks, Robin. Thanks, Harris, uh, for being with me today. Hopefully, Aditi will be back next time so we can get her perspective. And I'm also working on some really cool guests so stay tuned because the guests are going to be awesome. There's going to be some new people that have not been heard on this podcast before. And uh, that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. So thanks everybody. Uh, we'll see you next time. Goodbye everyone. 